This is the Humans of Gaming Podcast, an open and honest conversation about games, life, and belief. Welcome back to the show. This is Jonathan Clausen, your producer for Humans of Gaming and the Love Thy Nerd Podcast Network. This week, we're taking a quick break from our 10-episode series featuring women in different roles in the gaming industry, since Drew was at PAX East in Boston, checking out some of the amazing projects currently in development. In this episode, Drew interviews a diverse group of developers and content creators, including YouTube gaming comedian Lauren Z. Side designer Lindsay Rostel, and documentary filmmaker Philip Shane, who is currently producing The Mist documentary. We hope you enjoy this little one-off episode that we think embodies the diversity that Humans of Gaming is searching to feature on a regular basis. These are all great people doing great work, and we're proud to have them on our show. So please enjoy the interviews. Drew Dixon here with Love Thy Nerd, and I'm here with Lauren Zside. Tell me a little bit about yourself and what you do. Yeah, so um, I'm a YouTuber, yeah. <laughs> I guess would be the best term. Um, I've been doing YouTube for about seven years now, yeah. uh, and I do all different types of Which gaming content. Which makes you like a veteran in the YouTube world. Like, if you've been doing yeah. it for seven years, you're yeah. like a pro. Yeah, so like <laughs> I started because there wasn't, I actually started when I found out that people were doing gaming content on YouTube. Yeah. I was like, there's not that many girls. I think there was like two that I found who yeah. I'm actually now friends with, but oh, I was cool. just like, there's nobody yeah. in, there's not many people. I was like, I'll try this. So kinda, I was one of the the early like female gamers on there. Now there's tons, which is awesome. Yeah. 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 What was that like being kind of one of the first women to break into that space? And it was, it was both cool and like kinda, I, it's funny. There's, I know there's like this like stigma with girls in the industry that they have sure. it harder and stuff. I've always found that um, it kinda not made things, not made things easy at all, but like, I don't know. There was not that many people there for, girls that were growing up wanting gaming yeah. um so it's cool to be like one of the first people filling that void for because when i was growing up i loved video games and it was kind of like a weird thing for girls to like yeah. and now it's like cool and girls like so many girls play video games and are into tech and stuff um so it's cool being like one of the early people to kind of shape that and yeah, like absolutely. now it's so mainstream that um, I've always been, I've always felt kind of accepted because everybody, because yeah. there were so many girls looking for that in the yeah. community and basically the gaming community has been super nice in general. Yeah. Like, well, I imagine you've probably inspired a lot of, a lot of women to get out there and, and, and produce content and, and, you know, do things that they, they wouldn't have thought maybe there was oh, a space yeah, for. Yeah, know? yeah, for sure. Yeah. Like I even know there's a bunch of people that, um, were out around the same time of me or came out after making content and mm. they're either surpassed me or like at the same level and it's just awesome like all of us kind of grew up in the space at the same time um and opened it up for like people to feel like it's okay to be a girl in game and it's not yeah, a stigma anymore and it's awesome <laughs> yeah it's great what do you what what makes your channel unique like what if you're saying hey you should come check out my channel because you'll find you know, you'll find this here. So uh, my like 
mantra, I guess, was always trying to make games ridiculous or play in a way that not many people play it. Yeah. So uh, one of my bigger breaks was I started playing The Sims and everybody around that time was playing The Sims normally. Like you'd have a family, maybe you'd kill them off for fun or whatever. Yeah. And I was like, what Locked if I- in the swimming pool or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but instead of playing like that, I'd be like, all right, what if I imported like, like at the time Five Nights at Freddy's was a huge game. Yeah. I was like, I'm gonna make that into The Sims. And people were like, how? Like what? And I was like, I'm gonna make it work. And they then- figured it out. Yeah, yeah, and people like loved it because it was something that nobody yeah. else was doing at the time. So that's every, even still like seven years later, I'm mm -hmm. trying, I'm finding games that I can like make it my own. Own. Yeah. So even a lot of like sandbox games and things like that, that it's kind of open for you yeah. to interpret. However, that's probably where I shine the most when I can like make a game really weird and interesting and play it in a way that yeah. nobody else does. Yeah. So a lot of comedy on your channel. Yes. Right. Yeah. 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 And uh, if you had to narrow it down to one thing, what do you hope people gain from their experience on your channel? Like, what do you hope they get out of their time, uh, you know, watching your videos? Uh. I guess realizing it's fine to be weird and terrible at video games, yeah. but still be in the community. Like right. I'm awful. Like I think people expect they're like, oh, you're a gamer, you're in the gaming community. Like, yeah, you must be you, awesome. Yeah, they're yeah. like, do you stream? Do you play like uh, a lot of first-person shooter stuff? It's like, no, I'm kind of like in a different category. Right. But I wouldn't say I would still say I'm part of the gaming community. Yeah. So I guess yeah, that it's okay to be part of the gaming community, but not be like specifically good at a game. Yeah. Like, um, but a lot of the a lot of time people come there because they see me as that like weird girl I kind of like try to get an audience that I was growing up so I was like weird awkward yeah. like um Same now way. I've gotten yeah, <laughs> yeah I've gotten much better because I have to do things like this yeah. now and stuff I think we but, don't want to admit it but we all are at least some point in our life and maybe for huge chunks of our lives are that weird awkward person <laughs> oh yeah. yeah 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 and that's super relatable yeah, like yeah. and I feel like that's where gamers kind of connect the most too because yeah. you're like the majority of you are like oh I was weird and awkward you're like me too mm -hmm. And that's why I played video games. I'm yeah. like, yeah. so. And I also appreciate that approach of like not having to be super good, uh, or like yeah, you you having a channel that invites people in who aren't amazing gamers. I'm I'm yeah. now a I'm a dad. I have three kids, and so oh, like my time to game and like to be really good at a game now. Oh, and yeah. plus, I'm getting older. And yeah. I feel like my reflexes aren't what they used to. Be. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> and so like. <laughs> Like the the time it would take for me to get really good at a game, just sometimes is not worth it. You yeah, know? same. And I've so, always, I, yeah. whenever I'm at events like this, I'm like, that'd be great. Like, there's some girl streaming that she was like awesome at Counter Strike. I was like, I wish yeah. like people would be like, wow, she's so good. Like, yeah. I want to be like her someday. I'm like, no. Whenever they invite me to competitions, I'm yeah. always like, you know, I'm gonna be terrible, right? Like, I'm not <laughs> good. Yeah. Nobody wants me on their team. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, if you want to laugh, put me on your team. Yeah, but like, yeah. if you want to win, do not put yeah. me on. I love it. But same, uh, yeah. You can't yeah, compete yeah. with like the teenagers that have all day, like I used to when I was younger, to like For perfect sure. a game. Yeah. And you know, you, I know your channel's kind of like blown up. Like you have over three million subscribers. What's that experience like? Yeah, been it's, been, like? it's still weird. It's like, uh, I'd say maybe within the past, I only started doing it full time. It'll be three years this summer that we did full time. Yeah. Um, but I started like seven years ago. So there was mm -hmm. a, a big time period where it was uh, just like a side hobby and fun. Yeah. But now it's weird. Like even my whole family is like super on board now, but it was super weird in the beginning. We'd go to like Disney World or conventions or like uh. just walking around. Like I went to a restaurant for my brother's birthday and some fan came up to us at the table and my whole family was like, what is happening? <laughs> um, so yeah. it's been super weird. I still don't see it as that. Like people like will say, oh, you're 
the only famous person I know or something. I'm yeah. like, I don't know. No, I'm not that. Like, no, I play video games and that's right. it. And like, yeah, yeah. I'm in my house a lot. But it's been it's been very cool, but uh-huh. very weird. Yeah. Like, I don't know if that weirdness ever goes away. But right. like, <laughs> yeah. Is it uh, harder or easier now that you're able to do it full time? Because I know, like, I'm sure when you were doing it part time, it's like, gosh, this is all my free time. Yeah. Probably hard to rest. It's harder and easier at the same time. Yeah. So it's easier in that I have all the time I need to do it, but mm-hmm. I use all that time to do it. Oh, so yeah. like, at least when I had a like a, an office job, I would leave and I would separate myself from that world for a little bit and do something else mm-hmm. and then come back and it would be like exciting. Now it's like all I do. So then I have to try and like, try not to get burnt out, try to have other interests and hobbies that aren't yeah. like work, work, work. Yeah, for um, sure. But it's definitely easier to like craft w- exactly what I want on YouTube, whereas mm-hmm. when I had a regular job, I'd be like, I only have four hours. What could I film and edit in that time? That would be good. Yeah. Now it's like, I have all day. What I can do whatever I need to do mm-hmm. today. Yeah. Do you have to force yourself with your with your work to rest sometimes? Like, is that is that oh, difficult yeah. for you? Yeah. I think I'm a workaholic by nature anyway. Mm-hmm. Like, I've always had jobs where, like, 12-hour shifts, and, like, I've always been like that. Um, so especially now that it's, like, also my passion, it's hard to uh, stop myself. Yeah. So that's why we got a uh, – we just moved to a new house, and, like, our whole basement is basically our office. Yeah. So I've tried to, like, be good at – when I'm downstairs, I'm working, but I have to make it a point to go upstairs, like, after dinner time and have, like, a normal – Normal yeah. night. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool. Last question I like to ask people in the games industry is, why do you do the work that you do? What motivates you? Uh, I guess maybe going back to that same, like just trying. The original thing was ma- making sure girls had a uh, somebody to look up to in the gaming industry. Yeah. But now I feel like there's so many, and like it's mm-hmm. so much more mainstream. Mine now is probably just trying to show that like girls can be funny playing games yeah or even just not the girl aspect like there's funny gamers yeah like and try to eventually take the girl part out of it and just be like <laughs> yeah i dig that yeah, yeah very yeah. cool yeah well it's great talking to you I yeah love you the work too that you do and um Thanks. i know our listeners will be excited to check it out so they want to subscribe to your channel go to youtube uh search. youtube search lauren z side great. so yep or just Lauren Z and I'll, yeah. I'll pop up. <laughs> and Twitter, anything else you would want to plug? Same, same thing. Lauren Z side across right. the board. I got lucky. I got in early on nice. all that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, very cool. Well, thank you so much, Lauren. Yeah, great talking thank to you. you. Yeah. Drew Dixon here at PAX East with Astrid and your last name? Bestrup. Okay. And you are from where? Copenhagen, Denmark. Okay. And your your game is Unglet. Yeah. <laughs> it's really hard to say, but fun to say, I think. It's fun to say, yeah. It is also a fun game, and all of Niflis' game have these very weird names that it's hard to pronounce if you are not from north of Sweden. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, and tell us a little bit about the game, what makes it unique. So, England is, uh, it's, you're a little, we call it a space dolphin, a Niflis says it's feeling like a space dolphin. So, you're a little creature and you're swimming around in this non-platformer world. So at first the game might seem a bit like a platformer when you play it, um, but there's really no platforms. Um, and the unique thing uh, from my point of view is that you can always create, or most of the time create a save point. So if you are a more casual player, you can most certainly enjoy Unglet. And if you are um, 
hardcore player that gamer that wants the game to like speedrun it and you challenge yourself, uh, see how fast you can do it, you will also have a lot of fun with the game. Yeah. What do you hope players get out of their experience playing the game? If you had to sort of narrow it down to one thing, what do you hope players, you know, get out of their, their time with the game? It's, it's really a thing uh, for Niflas to answer, I think, but I think Niflas want people to um, feel one with the world, uh, enjoy the uh, algorithmic music that he had created for the game. He cares a lot about the music, but also the visuals that he had created together with uh, Sarah. And um, the overall like puzzle, puzzle elements, um, and fun like platformers where the mechanics keep challenging you and changing. And uh, if you if the game just taught you one thing, it's gonna do the opposite in the next level. Um, and I think he wants people to enjoy that. He wants people to enjoy that. Yeah. 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 Seems like a lot of his games have sort of a. They don't teach you with this really upfront tutorial, but it's all about sort of exploration and 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 testing the world yeah. in a way. Nifes is really good at doing like QA, get other people to play his games and look at it and design the game so it like really cater for the player. And I don't think that he would ever do like, hey welcome to my game. Uh, first of all you do this and this and that like yeah, yeah. with buttons on the screen. Sort um, of takes you out of the experience. Yeah, like what what I could do maybe in all other games. Um, so he wants uh, the learning experience of the game to be seamlessly, and I think um, already now with what he has created for Unger, it already works that way. Yeah, yeah, that's great. And what's your role on the team? Um, so I'm the producer. So Niflas creates the game. Uh, Sarah helps a bit with uh, the visuals, so she's like it's based on her hand drawings. Um, and I do um, I do all the boring stuff. So I go to PAX. Oh, that's actually fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I get to make sure that we have all the funding we need for the game, that we are doing the right kind of marketing yeah. and all of those things. Yeah. Yeah. Those really important things that sometimes game designers don't like to think about. Yeah. Uh, I think Niflas hate thinking about it and I love thinking about it. Oh, that's great. <laughs> that's great. Um, and uh, what what drives you to to partner with guys like Niflis and to make these types of games that are really kind of uh, I think some people would say kind of out there. It's really different. Yeah. It's like there's there you there's nothing games. really like this, no. yeah. Um so first time I met Niflis I was completely starstruck. I love the things he's created. Um, and I'm really honored that we get to work with him every day in triple topping. So he sits at our office and work from there. And I think what's so unique about games is that there's as many games as there's people. Yeah. And uh, he's a really brilliant mind and he cares a lot about uh, the people that will play his games. He thinks a lot about the people who play his games. And working with someone that is so passionate about the things that design yeah. is just very inspiring. I care a lot about the other games we make as well, but I think Niflas goes to links that very few, even very passionate indie designers do. So it's a huge inspiration to have someone like him uh, on our team. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. And uh, I think you were telling me earlier, you sent it. We were trying to meet up here at PAX, and you sent me a text, and you said, "Just look for the the person with the Yinglet tattoo." So you even have a tattoo yeah. of this game, <laughs> which I'm our listeners won't be able to see. But yeah. Yeah, uh, Niflas also have one. Uh, I also have uh, tattoos of the other games we have made. Yeah. Uh, they are under the sleeves right now because it's cold here in Boston. Yeah. Uh, but Inglis is on my yeah on the top of my left hand. Uh, Niflas has it on his arm. I was a bit more bold. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, it's a it's a very beautiful game, so why not like put it on your hand? Yeah, that's great. That's great. Well, that's a sign of uh, your belief in yeah. this game. That's great. That's fantastic. Definitely. Well, uh, thanks so much, Astrid, for your time. You're uh, it's a beautiful game. Really lovely to play. The music is is, is also a, a real delight to, to to the senses. I think. And yeah. So I'm excited to check. When can we expect to um, maybe get our hands on this? I have this like really boring later this year, but definitely this year. Cool. Yeah. Great. Awesome. Well, we'll definitely keep our eyes out for it. Thanks. Thank you. All right. So Conrad, what is your role with Liberated? Uh. Well, we're an indie studio and an indie publisher, so it's uh, a lot of community stuff, a lot of PR stuff, being here, um, helping uh, with like project management during development. Um, for example, a while back I was helping out with um, redoing all of the dialogues in our game because we needed to bring somebody new on board and kind of... So just, you know, <laughs> whatever needs doing. Yeah. What's your last name? Vaukuski. Okay. Good and luck. you and <laughs> I'm just gonna go with how you said it. I mean, just pretend like I said it exactly like you. All right, did. I will. Uh, and you're from Poland. I'm from Poland. I'm here with the Indie Games Poland Foundation. So yeah. all of us here are basically Poland. Yeah, yeah. And there's a like a really vibrant like indie game scene in Poland, right? Oh, absolutely. It's ridiculous, actually. Uh, I mean, it, it all started with CD Projekt, right? And yeah. then, and then all the, all these people suddenly they're like leaving and starting their own companies and now we have this ridiculously varied and blooming industry it's it's super cool yeah yeah so how long have you been making games well this is actually my first game dev gig before that i used to work at gog.com so i was like close to the to the you know it wasn't gaming but i wasn't actually like part of creating something new yeah. uh, so this is my first one yeah, is that exciting for you? It's really cool. I mean, yeah. it's <sighs> there's a lot there's a lot to do and there's a lot going on and there's a lot happening. But it's really I think it's really exciting. Um, yeah. And it's geez, I've learned so much, you know. Because yeah. before that, I was just like, you know, we had games. Our job was basically like, you know, there were these games, right? And we had to figure out what's cool about them and just it was kind of like fire and forget. And it was just all these games coming through. And here I'm like. I know everything about this game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So all the good stuff and the bad stuff, yeah. all of it. Yeah, yeah. So tell me about Liberated. What makes it unique? Uh, I mean, I, the most uni unique thing about it is that it's basically our take on revitalizing digital comics. Um, our goal is to give you an actual comic book reading experience um, intertwined with a with an action game. Um, so. I mean, basically, it's like, you know, you, you read an online comic nowadays, and it's like, it's basically a scan of the physical paper comic. We kind of figured, okay, we, we're, we're already in a digital space. We've got all this processing power. Yeah. Why not do more? Why not make it more interactive and just more visceral and exciting? Yeah. So we're, we're kind of calling this concept the playable graphic novel. Um, and so Liberated is, you know, it's, it's our own IP, it's our own world, and it's yeah. our own... Uh, it's our own creation, but the long game is 
to kind of create this new way of doing digital comics that yeah. isn't just copying what's on paper. Right, where you get to control the action sequences. Of exactly, the impact the, the storyline at points. Uh, just kind of keep you on your toes. Uh, even something, you know, as some, some digital comics do do it, but even audio, you know, yeah. is a really cool and big part of reading your comic. Because even if you don't have the voiceovers, yeah. there's still the soundtrack, the, the ambient sounds that kind of like really complete the entire experience. Yeah. So it's like, you know, it's like comic book 2.0. Yeah, maybe. yeah. If you had to narrow down to one thing, what do you hope players get out of their time playing Liberated? Oh wow, that's a good question. What do I hope players get? Well, I, I think that would come down to the story that we're telling. Because um, yeah. the, the entire game is, it's, um, it's a very grounded sort of noir cyberpunk. Yeah. Um, we love the cyberpunk is now hashtag because that's, yeah. sort of, that's sort of the vibe that we're going for. Like, look around you, we're already living in a grounded cyberpunk fiction. Yeah. Um, and that's what our game focuses on. Uh, it's like this sort of authoritarian dystopia um, where people are being controlled and they don't even realize it, but nothing that's happening here is actually science fiction. Yeah. Um, it's, it's all around us, just not all in one place. Right. Um, yeah. So I, I, I don't know. I kind of hope people see that and can kind of consider it a little bit. Um, but our story is also very much about, um, you know, kind of fundamentally good human beings being locked in this messed up system that's like yeah. pitting them against each other and generating unnecessary conflict. Um, so we're telling this story from like different points of view also, right? There's, yeah. there's the authoritarian system, they're deliberated, they are the uprising, the revolution, yeah. uh, and we're giving you both sides of the story. Yeah. Um, with no good guys. Yeah. I don't want to say no bad guys because kind of they're all they're all bad, bad guys. guys in a lot of ways because yeah. because but not because they are fundamentally bad but because this is the situation they're forced into. They're like yeah. the victims of their circumstance. Um, and and I think in a lot of ways that's kind of real. Yeah. And I so that's a really long answer to that one yeah. thing <laughs> that I hope that would resonate cool. with others. Um, yeah. Very cool. And then, um, what what drives you to, to make games? What, why do you why do you make games? Well, I mean, oh my God, liber it's liberated for me personally is it's 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 important on on the one hand because of what I said because of its message and and, and what it's trying to say. Um, I think it's a I, I guess I can kind of relate to this viewpoint personally. Yeah. I, I'm happy that we can get this message out. So you feel like that's a message that's um, like needed in our day and age, in a way? I, I think so. I, I think it's I think it's something that a lot of people don't really that a lot of people don't really think about. That we don't want to think about it. That you know we have our we as humans kind of need need a bad guy. We need yeah. an enemy. Um, and it's so much easier to think about the 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 the, the enemy as just kind of bad people. Yeah. Um, maybe, perhaps, that's not always necessarily the case. Maybe right. it's external factors that have created this sort of person that is so opposite to what you value. Yeah. Um, 
I think in a lot of ways this game is just kind of like that people are like fundamentally good. Yeah. They're just being manipulated and screwed up really badly. Yeah, sure. Um, but also even the format itself, I think, is really inspiring. Yeah. Like, if, you know, if we pull this off, if this goes beyond just liberated, uh, I really hope that we can kind of create this new age uh, digital comic. That's exciting yeah. as hell to be part of that project. Sure. Um, so for me, it's those two things. Um, but you know, I'm sure if you ask others on the team, they would probably have their own yeah, yeah. reasons to. No, I appreciate that because I think it's um, like games tend to do this thing right. A lot of games do where we paint with really broad brushes. We give you really clear bad guys like zombies or um, you know masked villains that are clearly evil. But sometimes games aren't that great at uh, helping us. You know, have a real have some empathy for those who would who we consider quote unquote bad guys. Right, you know, right. to think about uh, how they landed there. Right. Um, uh, and I, and I, I hope that's what we're doing. Like, just to kind of give you an example, um, since we shift between characters uh, in this story in each chapter, uh, so you start off right as this bright young ha hacker who is being recruited into the Liberated, right? Yeah. Uh, he's gonna change the world. He's gonna fight for freedom, personal freedom, justice, freedom from being um, controlled and monitored all the time. Um, and uh, there's, this, uh, there's this operation that they have to carry out, right? Um, they're going to wipe out uh, the government servers that have all the data. It's like a synchronized operation. And of course, it goes south. So they're, they're out there doing the briefing. They're like, remember, guys, we're the good guys, right? We're the good yeah. guys. No casualties, nothing. And there's a lot of casualties. There's yeah. a ton of casualties. Um, and then in chapter two, you you pick it up the story from uh, the point of view of this grizzled old cop, um, who his job is to fight the terrorists, the insurgents, the people yeah. who have murdered um, countless, you know, I guess sort of civilians. Um, yeah. I don't know who's good in this scenario. Yeah, I can't right. tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's more complex than we think. Yeah. yeah, that's great. I appreciate that that, that perspective. It's cool. Well, I hope and I I really hope we do it right because it's tough. Yeah, it's tough to get this right because you know even we, for or all as as much as we can try to be like neutral, even we have our own biases and our yeah. own. Um, so I, I hope we do it right. I hope yeah, we do yeah. a good job. Well, it looks really beautiful. It looks really cool. Uh, I'm excited to, excited to try it out. Uh, when can uh, people expect to, to find this? Uh, it's coming out in Q2 2020. We don't okay. have like an exact release yeah. date. Uh, we, we had to delay the game once already, so yeah. now we're just like... Predetermined. We'll, we'll let yeah. you know when it's done. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, gotcha. Yeah, and it's coming to uh, Nintendo Switch first. We're focusing on okay. it right now, and then PC shortly after. Great. Um, cool. So anyone who wants to follow us, Steam wish list, social media, okay. liberated game. Yeah. Great. Well, thanks, Conrad. Cool, and tell me your name again. Yeah, it's Lindsay Rostel. Okay, and what is your role on Red Lantern? I'm the game director and writer. Great, and how long have you been working on this? About two years. Okay, cool, and how long have you been in game design? 
I've been in game development in various forms for about 10 years. Okay. So cool. doing producing and writing, and this is the first time I've really like dove into design directly. Cool. So how's that experience been for you? Intimidating. Yeah. I uh, know it's it's been a lot of fun. I uh, you know try to learn from friends and other games and take a lot of feedback yeah. and make it as collaborative as possible. I'm very much willing to admit I don't know everything and yeah. so I have pillars and things that I've wanted to accomplish uh, from games that I've played and people that uh, you know I want to have for an audience and hopefully yeah. like accomplish that that way so that's great and uh, tell me about the Red Lantern what makes it unique well it's a dog sledding game and there's not many of those uh, yeah. we're trying to combine narrative in a roguelike context so we want the player to have a story that they get to take with them that is their journey through the, the story itself want you to make your choices based on sort of the resources that you have yeah. and not you trying to game the thing you think I as a writer want you to choose right and so find that story that's right for you that's right for this playthrough and that's right for the story you're ultimately telling is really exciting to me and that's what I think stands out for it yeah yeah is uh, do you have an interest in the outdoors is that like a personal uh, that that's obviously a big theme in this game um, a little bit. I, I think I've headed out more for adventure now as I've gotten older than I did yeah. as a kid. I've spent, went up to Alaska for a little bit for this, like yeah. camped basically on a beach facing a glacier. Uh, oh, cool. And that was pretty cool, like yeah. doing a big kayaking trip and stuff. Uh, I love nature and I think it's important that we like take a moment to recognize how cool it is. Yeah. Um, and, you know, if I can do that in a game and also inspire people to go out and check it out a little more, yeah. that'd be awesome. Yeah, that's cool. My wife and I actually have a trip planned to Alaska pretty soon, so, yeah. Um, we're going to go to uh, Anchorage mm -hmm. and hopefully go up to um, Denali and, yeah. and that area. That's yeah. awesome. I didn't make yeah. it to Denali, but I want to get back up there to do that. I went yeah. south to Seward, where I went to a dog sledding kennel and yeah. rode on the back of a oh, wow. like a big like cart because it was in the summer yeah. uh, with these dogs in. How strong they were was insane it was yeah. a car that weighed like 800 pounds and had eight adults on it oh, and when it had the brake on and they were jumping at the end of the line it was just shaking yeah. so aggressively and i'm like this is nuts and then we went down into homer and went halibut fishing oh, and cool. a bunch of stuff and like camping down there and spent some time in like a yurt in the middle of nowhere yeah. it's great alaska awesome. it's a good spot yeah yeah i'm excited Anyway, that's very, that's very cool. So, uh, if you had to narrow it down to one thing that you hope players gain out of their experience playing the Red Lantern, what would it be? I hope, you know, they take a moment of joy with the dogs, really. I mean, yeah. I hope they have a connection with them uh, and they get to find their favorite. Like, if yeah. everybody comes away like, this was my dog, like, this one feels like me or feels like the dog I already have, Yeah. that'll be awesome for me because I've pulled from dogs that I know and, you know, want to know yeah. uh, and I hope that people get to take that with them too where it feels true to the behaviors they know yeah that's great and uh, last question I like to ask designers is why do you make games what drives you to do this I think it's important to help people experience things that we wouldn't normally experience yeah. uh, and I think stories and games help people have experiences with emotions that maybe you wouldn't have to have in regular life you know like the the conceit in this game where you never fully fail you wake up from a nightmare imagining all the terrible things that can happen to you like yeah that's a, that's a part of life and i think it's important that we think about those things and how we can become become more prepared as we experience these yeah yeah that's cool and uh when can people look to see the game it'll be out later this year we'll announce the actual date a little closer to launch and i heard you saying switch and pc switch pc on the epic game store and then we'll be on xbox for xbox game pass as well okay Great, cool. Well, it's really beautiful, and 
I'm excited to see the final product before too long. So, awesome. yeah, thanks for showing it to me. Yeah, thanks for yeah, playing it. Absolutely. So, Corey Martin, yes. uh, you were from Montreal, you were telling me, and you've been making games for about 10 years, you said, and uh, your first game was, was t tell me about the first game, I'm sorry. Uh, well, my first commercial game uh, was Pipe Push Paradise. Yeah. It's, um, it's a simple, like, easy to pick up, really minimal controls, you like move around, uh, but it's really difficult and... Um, and uh, it's it's really a really lean game and packed with some surprising ideas and and tough tough puzzles. Yeah, so you're telling me that kind of that experience of making a grid-based puzzle game kind of led you to make Bonfire Peaks in a way. Like you thought it would be the only you you thought Piper's would be the only you know puzzle game that you made, but but now you're making uh, another game. What what kind of led you to do that? Well, uh, I, I still would like to explore other types of games and try other things, but um, once you finish uh, a game in, in a one specific lane, you, you kind of you build some skills and you learn how to make that kind of game. And uh, it's tempting to be like, well, what can I do with this format? Um, and it's still it's a, it's a very different game, but it's still um, still grid-based puzzle game because uh, I, I really like those constraints. I think yeah. it, it lead to a lot of puzzles uh, kind of naturally arising out of yeah. the format. So tell me uh, the, the gist of Bonfire Peaks. What is it? What makes it unique? So it's a game about uh, attachment and nostalgia and not being able to let go uh, of the past. Uh, and that's represented by you taking these crates of your personal possessions and setting them on fire. Yeah. Is that something you have personal experience with? Yeah, I have uh, like a, I still have a CD collection uh -huh. uh, in uh, my closet. Yeah. Uh, so so it's a like sentimental attachment is a problem for me, uh, and thankfully I have a, a partner that she doesn't have that problem at all, and yeah. so she does a She's good been job kind of. Pressuring of you to well, she's really good at getting us down to the essential yeah. collection, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have a similar experience. Uh, I have a weird, like, I have this big CD collection, too. And I'm like, what if I want to listen to those one day, you know? And I never will, but... Yeah. Uh, well, part of it is also that you're like, ah, oh, there was so much time and, like, yeah. love invested in building yeah. that. And... Uh, and it, you just don't want it to be over, I guess, or something. Yeah. I don't know. It's yeah. I, it's irrational because obviously I'm never going to play any of them again. Also, right. I have Spotify. Like uh, <laughs> yeah. very right. few albums in my CD collection are not on Spotify. Right. I, like it's not really something I need for any reason. But yeah, um, you know, it is what it is. It's just uh, it's an irrational thing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and I found like. My relate. My wife's kind of that way. She's kind of the one that's like, no, we really need to like, we're not gonna play these board games, so we need to give them to someone who will play them or get rid of them. And I, I don't like to admit it a lot, but she's usually right. And but there's something freeing I think about like letting go of stuff because our stuff can start to like control us in a way or like like limit our our freedom our happiness i think is that is that part of the experience you I, I think so i think any time that i've brought like uh you know a box of stuff to goodwill or whatever uh i've never regretted it yeah so it's it's something that it's just a hurdle to get past right but right. um but yeah like 
if you're a sentimental person, it's it's yeah. sometimes hard to even persuade yourself, even when you know. Yeah. You know. Yeah. How do you give players provide that kind of feeling, that kind of experience for players in a in a digital space? Well, I, I mean, at its core, I think uh, it's just I think I hope a solid puzzle game, yeah. and that's that's the most important uh, element. And then there's just this. A personal layer, um, uh, kind of painted over it, uh, just to make it a little bit more special and a little bit more meaningful to me. Yeah. Uh, and if that resonates with players, then great. Because um, uh, I think we're, you know, there's no harm in having more personal um, yeah, games out there. And uh, but yeah, I, that's the thing. At the the bottom line is, it's like a solid puzzle game with unique. Uh, unique puzzles. It's like of uh, the focus is on um, on making it really lean yeah. and not not wasting the player's time with like kind of samey repetitions. Yeah, yeah, cool. And uh, if you had to narrow it down to one thing, what do you hope players gain from their time playing Bonfire Peaks? Um, wow. Uh, I mean, I hope uh, delight. Yeah. <laughs> um, sure. I think for some people, puzzle games lead to frustration, and that's the last thing I want people to feel. I, I hope they feel invited yeah. to um, to progress in this game, and they feel like I, as the, the creator, I'm like, I want you to succeed, and uh, and also that they shouldn't feel bad for failing because it's a crucial part of getting yeah. through these games. I'm luring you to make mistakes yeah. at every at every turn. Uh, and some people, when they make one mistake, they think, oh, I'm so bad at these games. But that's just how everyone yeah, plays right. those games. It just comes down to whether or not you can enjoy being stuck and being stumped. Yeah. Uh, which I completely get that for some people, it's like, no, nah, I, I want unbroken progress, right, you know? Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. I want you to hold my hand the whole way. But th th there's, there's a little bit of, uh, or less, I think, maybe satisfaction from that kind of experience sometimes. Yeah, I mean, some things are like, I mean, there's some, some types of things, like if you're really good at racing games and you pick up a new racing game, you should be able to play reasonably well right away. And there's, yeah. there's some things that it's like, it feels natural that you can pick it up, pick it up and it's instinctual and, uh, and you're making good progress pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, so I think there's room for, for both both things. I'm definitely not a like if a game's not difficult, it's not good kind right, of person. Yeah, yeah. But but I do like difficult games, and hopefully um, people who check this game out are also uh, have a, an interest in yeah. in a hard game. Definitely. And uh, last question I like to ask designers is why do you make games? What drives you to do this? Uh, I love video games. I love puzzle games. Uh, it's the most exciting medium. To me, uh, it in part because it's so young, and I feel like we yeah. have we have no idea what we can do with this this thing yet. Uh, that's really exciting to me. Um, you know, things like like uh, even movies being a hundred years old has like a huge yeah. head start on us. Music, forget about it, painting, and so forth. So, video games being this really young, really immature medium, I think I'm I'm really excited to see where it goes, and I want to uh, be a part of it. Yeah, that's cool. So you said you're really drawn to puzzle games. It's kind of your your jam. Is there like a puzzle game that's that's a your like favorite? This was sort of like an inspiration to you. 
Um, there's there's a few I always name drop. One uh, one is like uh, my my games owe a lot to is uh, this game Steven Sausage Roll. Oh yeah, of course. It's yeah. it's um, a, a phenomenal puzzle game. Uh, that's that can be a little bit unfriendly to the player yeah. every now and then, but it's yeah. uh, but it's it's uh, it's each each puzzle is far more interesting than it is difficult, which is impressive because it's incredibly difficult. So yeah. that's always I think crucial that as long as something's really difficult, as it has to be at least as interesting as yeah. it is difficult, and that game definitely delivers. Uh, the Witness I loved a lot. Yeah. Um, that's Another super easy puzzle game. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no. But yeah. but again, has a nice format of uh, letting you walk away from puzzles and try different yeah. ones. You always have a lot of options right. of what to do. So if you're banging your head against something, you can try something else. I really like that format, and that's why I, I do that in my games as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I could list games all day. There's uh, designers like Alan Hazelden, Jack Lance, uh, these uh, Lucas Laslow. These people are just like doing incredible work all the time yeah. in this uh, medium, and uh, I'm always excited to see what they do next. Yeah, yeah, cool. Well, I really enjoyed checking out Bonfire Peaks. Uh, there's some really clever puzzles just in the early stages, and uh, when can we expect to see it? Uh, it's coming to Steam in May and possibly other places later. Okay, great. So Steam, Humble Store, and Itch. Okay, awesome. Yeah, and so uh, I guess now I should probably go home and dig up that CD collection and find yes. something to do with it. <laughs> All right, <laughs> I'll thanks. do the same. Yeah, thanks, man. So Marlo, yes. you just go by the one name. Uh, Marlo Doby. Doby's okay. my last name. <laughs> <laughs> I figured you had one. Yeah, That's right. Sure. So uh, what is your role with Floppy Nights and Garden Story? Uh, so Garden Story, I'm hands-off. Uh, yeah. Garden Story is being developed by a solo developer, Picogram, and yeah. with music by Graham Nesbitt. Yeah. So Rose City Games is actually co-publishing that. Yeah. And Pico like works out of our office, so it's really fun. They're like kind of part of the team and everything. And yeah. then with Floppy Nights, I'm much more hands-on. Uh, I'm the creative director and I'm doing all the art and animation. Okay, yeah. great. So tell me about Floppy Nights, what makes it unique? Uh, so Floppy Nights is a, kind of a mashup of a tactical, like top-down tactics game with deck building. So if you're into games like Advance Wars or Fire Emblem and also deck building games like Dominion, yeah. uh, it's sort of like a marriage of those two. And I haven't actually seen like a, at least a lot of examples of people doing like this type of tactics with deck building before yeah. and like adding that element of randomness into it. Because right. uh, you see a lot of like stuff like tower defense card games or just like deck building games in general and RPGs. But yeah, we wanted to take like a couple flavors of games that we really loved and like yeah. see what would happen if they had a very cute baby together. <laughs> Is that your jam, like deck building card games? Oh yeah, like personally, like those are the type of games I really like to play. That was a big sort of like inspiration and push for this game was like making a type of game that we would really like to play. Yeah. So yeah, it's been really fun. Yeah, I used to be really, really into Dominion. And in fact, we just I just dug out all my cards recently and yeah. started getting back into it. I forgot how great that game it's is. It's a very good one. It's yeah. like that feeling of uh, no matter how you're playing it, you're progressing in some way. Yeah. Is something I really, really like in video games. It's just like, oh yeah, no matter what, you're slowly incrementally building to your end goal. And yeah, yeah. whatever turn you take feels good. Sure. Yeah. So like, even if you don't win, you feel like, oh, I know how to build that better next time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And we've actually seen that a lot on the floor 
where like the first level is very tutorialized and the second like a handful of people won't make it through because they'll like charge right in with yeah. their like main unit uh -huh. and lose it but the second time they play it they always win like the second right. time because it's yeah. like oh yeah i've like figured out the strategy and yeah, kind cool. of like yeah figure it out on their own yeah. If you had to narrow it down to one thing, what do you hope players gain from their time with Floppy Nights? I think just like the really good brain feeling you get when you play tactics games like Advance Wars, uh, but having it be super duper accessible so everything on the screen, all your information is there and you're really able to understand it and pick it up without us having to hold your hand with it. So yeah, I find that when I'm playing too, it's just like I'm getting that like really fun brain feeling of like, what are all my different options when yeah. I have all these resources in front of me and I get to like dole them out and yeah, yeah. that's what I really like about those games. Cool. Yeah. And uh, what, what drives you to make games? Like what, why do you do this? Uh, I think that uh, just being part of a wave of indie developers and more diverse people making games is really important, just yeah. like at a base level. It's really exciting to see all these new voices, but also just like making the type of games I want to play. Like if a game doesn't exist, we get to try and make it. Yeah. And also just being able to sort of like put stuff out there that, you know, hopefully one day like people will enjoy it or maybe inspire them also to do the same thing is yeah. like, yeah, kind of the dream. Yeah, yeah. very cool. <laughs> And, uh, and how long have you been doing this, making games? Uh, about two and a half years, three years. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I graduated out of college in 2016 and just did illustration freelance for a while, but I've been working full-time with Rose City since January of last year, and before that I was doing like freelance game stuff like Dicey Dungeons yeah. and stuff like that for a little yeah. while before. Cool. Well, the art style is really fun in this game. It was, it was great in Dicey Dungeons, too, but uh, yeah, really a really fun, like inviting, I think, um, art style that doesn't like it's not this oppressive like uh, you it's know dark doom and gloom, yeah, right yeah. yeah that's actually like a really interesting like it's really fun for me to apply that to these types of games so like with dicey like there's not a lot of roguelikes that look like that yeah. and i would say there's not a lot of tactics games that look like floppy nights yeah and we actually like have had like a ton of kids come and play the game like uh -huh. yesterday and like so far during packs and their parents will come and help them out and like walk them through levels yeah. and stuff but that's really cool to see that just like the eye-catchingness of it yeah, is really accessible definitely. to like a large group of people cool and then tell me a little bit about garden story real quick um yeah. what do you hope players gain i know that's not your oh, game yeah, but you're sure. you're helping yeah, with it yeah. what do you hope players gain out of their experience with that game i think that there's like really interesting messages in garden story so there's this sort of like meta of environmentalism and helping out your town and Concord's like the last guardian left yeah. so I think there's like a really good feeling about like there's a lot of progression in that game you're sort of getting the like good feelings of playing like farming simulators like yeah. Animal Crossing it's like very relaxing to play but also has like a really good community message at the yeah. same time cool. so yeah just like mixing up like that fun kind of relaxing and action gameplay but also at the same time just like having a very feel-good theme yeah. around all of it yeah, yeah definitely and so we uh, we didn't talk very much about that one. So that one is uh, like um, you know Zelda influence, yeah, yeah. like RPG or sort of like action RPG type. Yeah, game. it's very much like influenced by Zelda and Zelda like games, as well as like you know like what I mentioned, like farming simulators, like Animal sure. Crossing, and like yeah, it's interesting to see that mix of like the actual kind of action gameplay that you get from the more Zelda parts where you're actually yeah. like doing some combat mixed with the like walking through a peaceful town and talking yeah. to your neighbors right. and like 
doing little jobs for them and checking in on them and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Very cool. Well, cool. The, both games look really, really nice. When can we expect to uh, see these games out? So yeah. Garden Stories window, Spring 2020. Okay. And then Floppy Nights is just 2020. We just okay. announced, like, we released a trailer a couple weeks ago, so we're yeah. really early on. So yeah. there's a lot of cool avenues we can look at with this one. And, Great. Yeah. Cool. Well, yeah, well, thanks so much for your yeah, time, Yeah, thank Marla. you so much. Yeah. yeah with Astrid and tell me how to say your last name again. Astrid. <laughs> okay, great. Uh, that's exactly how I was going to say it. So, uh, it's, tell me about Welcome to Elk, what makes it unique. So Welcome to Elk is a, a game based on true stories. Um, it has, we of course created a narrative around it, but uh, a lot of the games, like the mini games in the games are based on stories my brother told from uh, Greenland and California. We also post those stories online, so you can read them before the game is out, even like without any spoilers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, the game has a really unique art style. Tell me about that. What are you trying to evoke? So the art style is made by Murray Summerwolf. Uh, he's our art director. He was very inspired by BoJack Horseman. Yeah. So something that's like realistic and funny and can show like the more like harsh sides of life at the same time. Um, and then we wanted the game to be e to easily communicate, like when you can interact with something or not. So that's why we have like the white with black outlines and then only colors and the stuff you can interact with. Yeah, yeah. When I, what I played was pretty like the story was pretty heavy. Uh, is that what we can expect for most of the game, or is there some some humor as well? It's a it's a good mix. So uh, of course, at uh, the demo build, we want to show what the game the range in the game so yeah. there's like fun little jokes in the beginning you're doing a karaoke game you're singing yeah. songs having fun and in the end you see sort of like the, the more tragic or darker side of the game yeah but it's a balance uh it's not only those like very heavy stories we have only very few of those yeah and then uh, everything in between from like pouring a beer and laughing with your yeah, friends right. till, to this yeah 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 and uh, if you had to narrow down to one thing, what do you hope players get out of their experience playing Welcome to Elk? I hope they make the stories their own story and that they're going to tell it to their friends and family. Yeah, yeah. And remind me, I, I, I meant to ask this at the front of the podcast, but what is your role on the game? So I'm the co-writer together with Mary, uh, and all of us is like game directing. Um, and then I'm the producer. That's why I'm here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, what uh, what do you hope, like, or I mean, um, sorry, with the uh, the look of the the game is, and the uh, these like, um, you know, the music and stuff is very, uh, it was really beautiful. Yeah. So um, yeah, I, I'm curious what the response so far has been to the game. So far, um, if you only play the beginning, people are like, ah, it's funny laughing and smiling about the jokes together and then in the end um, sometimes people cry yeah. um, which first time I showcased it I of course we designed it in a way we wanted to feel to touch people and we want them to relate to the story um, and we cried designing it but we didn't expect that people would be in a yeah. showcase and crying yeah so yeah that's great well that must mean that you've uh, created something you know poignant uh, and and it powerful 
I hope so. Yeah. 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 Well, it was great. I really, it's really unique. Uh, I don't think I've played anything quite like it. So I really enjoyed trying to get out. Thanks for your time. Yeah. You're welcome. So I'm here with Philip Shane, and you're a, a documentarian, a filmmaker. How would you describe yourself? Yeah, a documentary filmmaker. Yeah. Yeah. Documentarian has a different vibe to it. It sounds very um, above my pay grade. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so you've had some some pretty successful documentaries. Tell us a little bit about some some of the things you've done. Yeah. So probably uh, the documentary uh, I worked on that people know the most is uh, I was a co-director. Uh, of a documentary called Being Elmo, yeah. um, which was directed by my friend uh, Connie Marks. And that is the story of um, the puppeteer who, um, behind Elmo, yeah. and is an amazing, just uh, really powerful, sweet story. And it's, mm-hmm. we, it's not just him, but like the whole Sesame Street, the whole world and, and the history of Sesame Street and Jim yeah. Henson and stuff like that. Um, Another one uh, people may have seen is I did a documentary. Um, I produced and directed a documentary for History Channel called uh, Einstein, yeah. which is about the one Einstein you've right. heard about, yeah. um, which was really fun. Um, I have, yeah, and I've had the great fortune to work on a number of documentaries about inspiring people uh, uh, of all kinds in both science, like Einstein, and the arts. Um, I got to work with Paul McCartney. I edited oh, wow. a documentary with him called uh, Wingspan yeah. about his life in, oh, cool. and his family's life after the Beatles. And yeah. Yeah. So That's I've done cool. a lot of Yeah. Lot of Most of us have heard of Paul McCartney. <laughs> You've heard of him. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, yeah. What was that like uh, getting to meet and work with him? It was incredible. I mean, I was working in his house yeah. uh, in New York, his, his New York house. Um, and uh, yeah, I worked with him and his daughter, Mary, and uh, her husband at the time, Alistair Donald. Um, it was amazing because he, he kind of hear this, hopefully you hear this about celebrities, ah, they're just like a normal person, yeah. really sweet guy. And he was really, uh, really down to earth and mm-hmm. very kind and uh, yeah. generous with his time. And, yeah. yeah, very cool. Cool guy. Well, some of our listeners might be wondering, why is Drew talking to a filmmaker? Because this is a podcast where we normally talk to people in the games industry, but you're, you're essentially entering the games industry. So you've got a new documentary you're working on about Mist. Tell me about that. Yeah, so um, Mist is, uh, for those of you who knew it, if, if you played Mist, I know that you are smiling right now. Yeah. And I meet people and I say, if, you, if, if you've heard of Mist, you, you know, I always see a big smile. I grew up playing Mist when it came out. It came mm-hmm. out in 1993. And it blew my mind. Uh, obviously, I was very much into movies as well and, yeah. and into games at the time. And for me, Mist was, for games, video games, what star wars was for movies like it was just so rich and so engrossing at the music and the sound Mm -hmm. and the design and the look expanded people's minds about what a video game could be i think maybe for sure yeah it was um uh, it was three-dimensional textures and Mm -hmm. it didn't yet you you weren't yet able to move in like for instance now we have open world games yeah but this was a step along that direction. It was mm-hmm. a three-dimensional world. You could turn and look at it, and just gore. It was also a work of art. Yeah. I mean, it just felt that way um, for any number of reasons. All the elements kind of coming together, and it integrated video, which mm-hmm. was a new thing at the time, and uh, it was an incredible thing. 
in a, a very well um, thoughtfully built world. Yeah. That they that they envisioned. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And um, not that I'm against it, but no killing. Yeah. No clock. Uh, yeah. No, t- no, you know, no ticking clock. No, it was just didn't um, contain a lot of those things that we tend to think of as like staples of successful video games. You know. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting, actually. The um, and again, I feel like if you connected with it, you you felt a special connection because there there was so few things like this, and that the adrenaline, in a way, mm-hmm. like first person shooter comes with its own adrenaline. Yeah, it's given or a racing game or any of those things. Um, the adrenaline in this game comes from, if you have it, that desire to solve that puzzle. Yeah. And when you do, right. a whole other part of the world yeah. opens. Uh, yeah, so anyway, but, but the, the really, a, a big part of the story, a fascinating story to me, was the original game came with um, a behind-the-scenes video on it. And just, mm-hmm. a, just a sneak video onto those CD-ROMs. It was a tiny little square on the screen, yeah. and you can watch it, it was a few minutes long. And you got to meet the creators. Mm-hmm. This is something that never, I don't, uh, maybe it happens more now, but like it it's... It definitely wasn't common in the 90s. No. For sure. You wouldn't yeah. know. Why would the, even for movies, it doesn't, you know, you don't get a movie and then, um, mm-hmm. you know, maybe on DVDs you got director's track or something. But here you saw them, it was a little bit like the making of. Yeah. And I was, always loved making of type documentaries and here you met the guys and they just looked so cool and, you know, they were really like independent artists. Mm-hmm. This wasn't... I mean, I loved Atari games, but, yeah. you know, that was a giant company and things like that. And at the time, too, it was one of the best-selling games, or the best-selling game of the 90s? It became the best-selling game for nine years. Yeah. From 1993 till 2002, I believe. Knocked out of the top slot, or off the charts, anyway, by The Sims. Yeah. So that's so how big you, it was. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So if you don't know what Mist is, if you're listening to this and you don't know what Mist is, and you're like a big gamer, this is like an opportunity to educate yourself. Like, this is a game yeah. you should know about, because it's been so vastly, uh, massively influential. It is. In fact, uh, my cinematographer, Kyle Kelly, who I've been working with, we've, been, we've done some filming. Um, we're doing a Kickstarter uh, this year, yeah. we're going to be raising more money. We'll be able to jump in more earnest. But Kyle is uh, in his late twenties, I believe, and uh, we were walking around Spokane, which is where the guys lived at, when they were making the yeah. game, and, and uh, some of them still are there. And I just wanted to film things that felt like they came out of the game. So, like, here's mm-hmm. a rusty pipe, here's yeah. a giant gear, uh-huh. here's a big lever and these industrial artifacts and stuff like that. And I said, oh, look at that, that's so mist, film that. Look at that, that's like right out of mist. And he said, uh, after about an hour of doing this, he's like, you know, every time you say that's so mist, I think to myself, Kyle says, it's just like a video, it's just a video game, something out of a video game. And mm-hmm. then I realized that is, you know, that's kind of the, there's, there is so much in today's world that began with them. Yeah. Um, I mean, I can't say that, you know, basically, they, they were taking you know, gears and ladders and moving platforms and all that. It was all part of games before, mm-hmm. but they, they were, in, in moving into the third dimension, they turned those things into, like, uh, a whole other yeah. experience. Yeah, like yeah. That. So. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. And um, what do you, how is this, I mean, because this is about a video game, and I think there's, I don't think this way. Mm-hmm. But there are people out there that go like, oh, why would you make like video video games? In many people's minds, are trivial, mm-hmm. um, and and just something we do to pass the time or or 
to escape um, and, and we think of them as not that important to our everyday lives or, or whatever. Um, wh- how would you defend the, the, the value of making a documentary about something that people think of that way? You know? Well, it's interesting you say that because, um, you know, I, I, working in film and I grew up studying film and I went to film school. And um, when you study the history of film, you see the same kind of thing. You know, mm-hmm. people thought films were... Uh, trivial commercial yeah, kinds right. of things, especially before television. It was basically the equivalent of television until these crazy young hippies in France decided <laughs> that Jerry Lewis was a genius. And anyway, mm-hmm. the film has go- since gone through a transformation. And one thing people do know, if you can relate to that, when we think of film, generally, if you're going to think of art films, there are definitely like Hollywood films and certain, like Steven Spielberg, I think you could say, is somebody who totally commercial, full-on Hollywood, big blockbuster movies, but also crosses over into art. Um, But even within that, there is really an art film. We literally have theaters called art theaters, you know, where you go and you see. And I don't think there's any argument now that film is definitely can be an art. And I think video video games have been struggling with this since the beginning. Um, Certainly in the days of the silent movies, there were filmmakers who felt this is an art. Same thing with the early... Uh, video game people now. I think the difference is though, and I would say this about the documentary, and I feel like this relates a little bit to your site. The video games are and can be works of art. And certainly yeah. can be approached that way if they're it's but the people who make them are definitely artists. Yeah. Artists, regardless of whether they're making you know, right. triple A uh, Call of Duty or something like sure. that. The 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 craft um, and the talent that goes into it is, is mm-hmm. very artistic. Um, yeah, so that's, it's really what's... I think when people get to know the people behind it yeah, uh, and you start to see their devotion to it and, and what goes into it, um, you will start to get yeah. that feeling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Cool. And give us a sense of what you hope to, you know, hope to accomplish with the documentary. Um, what is it that makes the myth story worth telling the begins with the two brothers uh, Rand and Robin Miller mm-hmm. uh, who made this game and they worked with a you know small group of fellow friends and colleagues and even other family members and they were living and working in a double wide trailer a mobile home in the woods outside of Spokane, Washington, yeah. which is already, out, that's kind of like outside, outside of outside, yeah. <laughs> triple layers of outside. Yeah. Other than Seattle, nobody knows anything about Washington. Yeah, I think if, even <laughs> if it said Spokane, most people wouldn't, if they heard yeah. the name at all, wouldn't know what state it was in. Yeah. And uh, the Great Northwest. And um, they just, they had made games before for kids and wanted to make something more ambitious and they found a developer in through Japan actually. Um, that gave them the opportunity to make something a little bit more sophisticated, and they jumped at it. And they did what great artists or of any kind, whether they're musicians or filmmakers or painters or playwrights, whatever, they wanted to make something that just came from their heart mm-hmm. and was basically the kind of game and the kind of world they wanted yeah. to, to be in. Mm-hmm. And they poured their soul into that. Very few people had heard of them, even in the business. It, some of their kids' games had been a little bit successful, but the video game world was incredibly tiny then. Yeah. Next thing they know, they are—they have the biggest game in the world. Mm-hmm. It's hard to imagine that 
transformation. Yeah. Uh, when it came time for their, they were working on their sequel, they wound up on stage uh, with Steve Jobs. Yeah. I mean, you can imagine going from, <laughs> yeah. from this from to that. From a trailer. Yeah, uh, from a trailer, yeah. right? Yeah. And um, so it's certainly a dream that a lot of people have, and it's, mm -hmm. um, uh, but there's a purity, I don't want to get too cheesy about it, but there's a purity to that kind of vision and that kind of work ethic mm -hmm. and that kind of focus. Yeah. And they are really great representatives of what I would call the indie spirit. Yeah. Uh, again, in all forms. They could have been in a, could have worked their way up and wound up working for gigantic companies, but that wouldn't allow them to do the vision and to be as creative as they yeah. could. And they stuck through that. Um, yeah, so that's yeah. it. And, and, and there's one other side to the documentary. Uh, there's a number of other sides, but one in particular is that I grew up at the same time this game came out, and this is all Mist and the making of Mist is part and parcel of the entire uh, PC revolution, the home yeah. computer revolution. And mm -hmm. I think that those of us who lived through it kind of, I'm sure we're all amazed by it and appreciate it. But like so many things that happen so fast, few documentaries have taken the time to slow down and say, hang on a second, what happened there? Yeah. All these incredible right. things yeah. happened. And um, the two brothers represent sort of different sides of it. Rand, the older brother, was really into computers and hardware and programming. Mm -hmm. His uh, younger brother, Robin, was really an artist, considered himself, he was thinking of being a painter or a mm -hmm. composer or a filmmaker or something like that. Didn't, didn't, and just the tech side of computers was not something interesting to him. And suddenly the Macintosh, uh, Rand had bought a Mac, one of the very mm -hmm. first Macs came and landed on the desk and Robin sat down in it and immediately felt at home. He's like, oh, this is something I can draw on. Yeah. I can do art. And that is how they got started oh, cool. making yeah. games. So I would like to meet, there's unheralded people in big stories is something I like to focus on, just like the puppeteers mm -hmm. of Sesame Street. Who is that? Yeah. You never see them. Um, so there are guys like Bill Atkinson who created HyperCard, which is an incredible graphic programming tool that they used. There are other people that were key players in creating the tools that when wound up in the hands of the Millers mm -hmm. brothers who made Mist. And I want to go back and meet some of those yeah, people so you can cool. feel the, but I, I think of it as almost as like inputs. So those are inputs, things that come from like Silicon Valley in Japan and other places into the little trailer. They make it, they transform it into mm -hmm. Mist. Mist then goes out and is played by people all over the world. Yeah. And all those people are inspired. And I've met a number of those fans who are still devoted to it some of whom, a whole lot of whom, went into the world of art or graphic design or things like that, Yeah. inspired by, cool. by mist. So yeah. inputs and outputs. Yeah. Kind of the theme yeah. There. This yeah. may be hard to answer because I know there's still a lot of work to be done. Yeah. But, um, I can do these more concise too if you feel <laughs> no, like No, this is great. Okay. I love it. Yeah. Um, what do you, if you had to narrow it down to one thing, mm -hmm. what do you hope people yes. who see the documentary get out of their experience? Um, I hope people come out of it having spent time alongside and even in the mind, hearts and minds of the people who make the technology that they use mm -hmm. and perhaps you know make the games or some of the things that they're entertained by and um, then continue to use these 
tools that we all live in, which are basically, if you know nothing about them, they just seem like magic. Yeah. But to know the magicians yeah. who put it together, I feel like ultimately you could never underestimate the need to put the humanity, to reveal the humanity inside the technology. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really important. Yeah. Um, and, and these are people who are un... You can't say they're not successful. They've done. They, they do okay yeah. by themselves. But like the public really doesn't know them and appreciate them. Right. And I think you will then have a whole different feeling mm -hmm. about it. And frankly, for those of us who are, if, if you're a geek, or a nerd, you are a gamer or whatever, and you play these things, like you're kind of dying to know who these people yeah. are and what are they. Right. And I think the thing that'll be surprising to people is whether you are supercomputer nerd, super gamer, or just you know ordinary person who enjoys life in this world, I think you'll be amazed how you can connect to these yeah. people you never heard of. And that's yeah. important. Connection is yeah. a big part of it. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Um, and then last question I like to ask creatives, people in the games industry, which you now are. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> but, but why do you do what you do? In your, in your case, it's, it's making, making films, make, uh, you know, documentaries. What, yes. what motivates the work that you do? Uh, I get to learn and I get to vicariously sometimes literally or sometimes vicariously through the magic of videotape or old movies spend time with people who are incredible yeah. to me mm -hmm. and um, that's like an incredible experience to me so I love watching documentaries yeah. I love learning about people I get to kind of go visit and hang out you know with these people yeah. um, and be inspired by them the other thing is I get a tremendous satisfaction from kind of being a translator mm -hmm. I can you know, the whole job of the documentary, one of the big jobs of the documentary filmmaker is to take something that's perhaps even boring to people, let alone complicated, and translate that. You know, yeah. someone's life is real. How do you capture an entire life and convey a sense of the person? Well, we get to do that and share it with people. So I'm also, I feel like I get to be a bridge between the general public and very special people who are unknown and uh, kind of, again, connect these people in a way that's... Yeah. Uh, powerful yeah yeah and uh, ultimately with documentaries too it can change your the lives of people which is pretty powerful now all movies can too but mm -hmm. uh, certainly some documentaries you can really make a difference um, the people you see in documentaries you can then actually go meet <laughs> yeah and and learn about yourself or maybe you want to enter that world um, right so yeah, yeah. I enjoy yeah, that. I love it. Yeah. Very cool. Well, Phil, it was fascinating talking to you, and um, I'm really excited to see how this develops. And um, I know you're getting ready to do a Kickstarter. When will that be yeah, live? So we have a Kickstarter coming later this year. Uh, I don't have a fixed date at the moment, but please stay tuned. Yeah. Um, you can go to the misdocumentary.com, the website. Mm -hmm. um, we're also on Twitter and Facebook. And um, yeah, keep in touch. And, and by the way, I'm, we're, we're looking for anybody who, if you played Mist or have any stories or things like that, I'm just really interested in, yeah, in hearing great. from you um, and you know, share images you got, stories you got, yeah. things like that. Contact us. Yeah, so if people want to follow the, the film, what's the best way to do that? It's about, the website's about to go up, but I would say go to themistdocumentary.com okay. um, or go to, uh, find us on Twitter, which is uh, at themistdoc. Okay. DOC. Great. Yeah. Great. Thank and you. If people want to follow your your you specifically your work. Yes. If you want to reach me directly, uh, my website uh, for, as a director is uh, philipshane.com. That's Philip with one L. I always say it's all my parents could afford. 
<laughs> Shane, S-H-A-N-E, yeah. uh, dot com. Okay, great. Yeah. Great. Oh, yeah, it was great talking you. to you. Yeah, thanks so much. Thanks again for listening to this episode of Humans of Gaming with one-off interviews from PAX East 2020. Drew and Chris will be back next week with more guests continuing our 10-episode series, Women in Gaming. Be sure to check us out on the web at lovethynerd.com. And if you enjoyed this show, as always, please take just a moment to like, share, subscribe to wherever podcasts are distributed. We rely on you to get the word out that we exist and that we are hoping to feature more and more developers and content creators and keep featuring the things that we find important in this industry. 